Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. She is a therapist in the SF Bay Area who focuses primarily on intentional and purposeful relating, the foundational relationship being the one we have with ourselves. She loves to bring depth and play into her work and acknowledges the power in understanding that we're both wounded and heal within relationships. Tani. Hello. Hi, How Dawn. are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm doing well. <laughs> good. Um, so you, you teach one of the, the uh, most popular classes in the lab, which is attachment styles, right? I do. I do. Yeah, it's super fun. I love teaching it. What... Um, gravitated you toward that topic? Um, well, I guess what initially gravitated me towards it was I was in a relationship for almost 11 years from the time I was 16. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, nearing the age of 27, I was like, something doesn't feel right. And I started to recognize within myself and through therapy and my own personal development that I had attachment wounding just from reading about it. Um, mm-hmm. And then kind of delved in, went to therapy school, and it's been something that I'm pretty obsessed with. And it's actually um, the most researched theory of human development that we have, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, why don't we learn about this stuff in high school I, or college? Me. We got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did you become a therapist because of your own therapy? Um, yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about, I mean, that's usually the process, but tell me about that. What was it like for you? At what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to become a therapist and also, um, to attachment styles is one of the things that I want to teach people. Yeah, for sure. I actually think it was before even being, be, even, uh, being like an undergrad. I think it was younger than that. My mm-hmm. parents are like armchair psychologists. They, they aren't therapists, but they're just like psychoanalyzing everything. We're always mm. seekers. And because of that, I very much like fell into that myself of trying to find my own healing. I actually came out of it at it in more of an Eastern way, like a uh, East-West psychology. And I went to an East-West kind of school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of fell in through my own healing. I had had therapists here and there, but I didn't really have an incredible therapy experience to be totally transparent with other therapists. I, I, but I fell in love with yoga, went through a 200 hour, tried experiential therapy, ecotherapy. Um, I've always been a writer and I found that to be very therapeutic, especially. Right. Yeah. And it, like, and also important to note, I found you when I was an undergrad And um, one of the classes that I had with a narrative therapist, the teacher had us reach out. And it's really crazy. It's funny. I didn't tell you this, but I had reached, I thought I reached out to you for an interview when I was like 24 years old and recently found that there, it was just a draft email. So I never reached out. Oh, you you never sent it. I never sent it. Um, but I really just love, it made me feel like it could actually be a therapist because it's not like the beige wearing therapist where you have to fit into this certain box, you know, like 
And uh, I guess that's what set me on the way. I wanted to help other people's healing. Beige is a trigger word for me because I typed, I posted something about beige underwear and got a backlash like crazy. But anyway, let me ask you, (laughs) let me ask you. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) That's okay. Um, If you have parents who are therapists, I know you said more armchair. They're not uh, therapists. Oh, they're not therapists. Okay. So it wasn't. (laughs) So, no. well, because like, I think one of the misconceptions is that if your parents are therapists, then you, you know, turn out with no emotional problems and you're perfect and all of that. And that's not true. Oh, no, no. From people yeah. that I've seen with therapist parents, sometimes it's actually the opposite. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about attachment style. So um, 11 years is a long time, starting from 16. I mean, that's pretty yeah. much, that's one giant imprint when it comes to, mm-hmm. to love, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It really is. Um, yeah. So, well, I guess something that I want to say because of what you just mentioned about therapist parents is um, in terms of attachment, you know, if if we're so involved in our own healing and our own lives, then it can be hard to be attuned to other people in our lives. And I guess that's what kind of comes up to me with that and potentially why people aren't emotionally um, aware of their own selves as children of therapists, maybe, you know, it's mm. like if you're in it, because when I think about insecure attachment, oftentimes our parents are doing the best that they possibly can. They're incredible parents, but they're just not attuned to us because there's so much going on. And I know that that's what was up for me. Um, So in my relationship of 11 years, I think I was, I I was mainly avoidant. Mm -hmm. um, And, and I don't know how it lasted that long. He's an incredible human, but I think, you know, it's just when. So if you're an avoidant, was he an You know, I think, well, because it had been 11 years and because we were so young, he was two years older than me, I think it actually switched, right? I mean, I know that I've seen you talk about this too. It's on a spectrum and secure attachment. Right, right, right. So in the beginning, avoidant, and then I was anxious, and then he was avoidant, and it sort of switched back and forth. Mm. After time, you know, maybe he's more secure now, but I was not. I was just kind of like still seeking something outside of myself to fulfill myself, which, you know not a thing. <laughs> yeah. Let's back up a little bit. Uh, tell sure. us what an avoidant attachment style looks like or, and is, and tell us what an anxious attachment style is looks like. Yeah, sure. So avoidant is more of, um, they're not really comfortable with intimacy. It feels more like enmeshment to them, or they feel engulfed when others are close to them. And sometimes they have, um, more they they have a hard time, um, Wow, I just went blank for a second. They have a hard time showing themselves. They have right? a hard time showing themselves. They yeah. have a hard time being vulnerable. And also they have a hard time recognizing that interdependence is really key to a healthy and happy life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard for them to recognize the importance of relationship. Whereas on the other you know, side of the spectrum with an anxious attachment, they can be super preoccupied with the relationship. And not self-soothe, not understand what their own needs are, expect that if they take care of their partner, their partner will take care of their needs magically without knowing their own needs. Right. Um, I was definitely, uh, and I still am, I struggle with uh, being having an uh, anxious attachment style. So I thought that love meant um, if you go down, I go down with you. Or if I go down, you go down with me. I thought love, because that's romantic, you know, and I, and I thought love is like, you know, we're in it together forever. Um, and what happens is then you have one person, you know, in a jacuzzi instead of 
um, well, you have two people in the jacuzzi kind of being one person instead of two different people in their own tubs mm-hmm. holding hands. And that's kind of the yeah. visual. Um, I saw it in a, in a yogurt ad once and it just hit me. <laughs> I was like, funny. so the, the image was two people that they were in their eighties. They were in um, separate bathtubs, like on the, in, like at the grand Canyon. And it was cool. Cause they were, they were facing in the same direction, looking down at the world and uh, yet they were in their own tubs. And the only thing connecting them was um, their hand. They were holding hands outside the tub. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is actually what uh, a healthy relationship looks like. Because for me, it was like, I would be in a jacuzzi on top of my partner facing my partner. That's what the, I thought love looked like, right? Yeah. And totally. so, yeah. And so when you're anxious, you if you're not constantly getting, you know, validation and I love you and all of that stuff, if your person isn't kicking the door down and jumping on you kind of a la, you know, the notebook, um, Mm -hmm. then you Mm -hmm. feel like you feel like something's wrong. No, totally. Totally. You know, uh, I was actually just reading Thich Nhat Hanh's book this morning, how to love. And he was saying the same thing of true love is looking out towards the same direction with your lover, not gazing into one another's eyes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I like that. I like that too, you know, and like also in full disclosure, I most likely had more of a disorganized attachment. So typically Mm -hmm. how that works is the avoidance is healed first is what most attachment researchers say. And then you become more anxious. Mm, Um, Right. So you, you kind of sway from one, one, one swing to the other. Yes. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, secure. So um, that's kind of the North Star, right? Secure attachment is where we're all trying to swim towards. So uh, let's talk. Tell us about that. I mean, exactly what you said about being in the hot tubs with holding each other's hands. It's like I think of Gestalt therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like I I respect you and I trust you enough. The, speaking to the partner, that you can take care of your needs and express what it is that you need from me and vice versa. And I think that's really what I think of in secure attachment and that is that ability to take care of yourself while expressing your needs and not in a demanding way. It's really being right. able to grow with somebody. Right. That's what you want. It's um, it's holding instead of grabbing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Grasping. And then um, the other thing I, I say a lot is it's doing life with someone instead of at someone or around someone. So yes. um, ar- around someone would be avoidant. Um mm-hmm. At yes. someone may be anxious and then doing someone with doing life with, with someone would be more secure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love those. They're like perfect for bumper stickers too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in your journey, um, 11 years, um, where are you at now with attachment styles and love and, and self-care and everything? Um, yeah. Well, I guess we went, we might as well get really personal, right? After that one. Yeah. That's that's the goal of all of my interviews is uh, I, I, I eventually want to try to trap you where you can't, there's nowhere else to go. Right. Thanks yeah. a lot. And then you, you being an avoidant, I know I'm going to have to, you know, run after you. So yeah, well, I'm more in my anxious right now. So. Oh, you're anxious. Okay. So this should be easy. All right. This is, yeah, I guess so. Until vulnerability hangover afterwards. Um, right. So yeah, after that, I actually thought that I wanted to be non-monogamous or polyamorous. 
tried that out a bit with the partner that I was in mm. for 11 years. It wasn't for him. Tried that with a new partner and I was with him for nearly three years. We're still very close. And actually within that relationship. Wait, can I stop you there? Because you're also, ahead. you're now talking about something that is very topical. Um, and this is also very, uh, touchy so, too. very touchy, very controversial. Um, I think it's the first time these days where people are questioning monogamy. Yeah. Well, I mean, people are questioning a lot of things right now, of course, but monogamy is on trial and that's never happened before. Um, And even myself, uh, I've also had conversations with with uh, with my partner about what would an open relationship look like? Uh, uh, What what would that you know? And and I don't think that as a 20 year old, just myself, because of where I was at. Um, I would have the capacity, but as a 47 year old, um, I, I could like, I could actually have conversations about it, you know? And so my question to you is since you've already experienced it, what was it like for you? Did it work? Did it not work? Yeah. Um, it fucked me up. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. How so? How so? Well, because I have an insecure attachment and Mm. before in the past, when I started, it was like super insecure. I was coming at it from this way of not expressing my sexual needs and thinking that adding more people to the pot was going to help, which mm-hmm. that does, that's not a thing. Um, and so that really harmed me because I also, in that relationship of 11 years, I had been cheated on within the first two years quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, later in the relationship, I had cheated on him one time too. So there was, there was already history. Um, right history and pain that we had not processed we had not integrated so it was really ripping um the scab off of the wound over and over again without actually processing what was underneath wait was it also was it mutual or did both of you guys want to try um i wanted um, to try it okay and And, yeah and then is it is was it open meaning that you guys are the um like that's the base relationship but you guys are um, allowed to have sexual experiences with other people, but you're, you're not allowed to fall in love with other people. Is that, is that how that, that worked or no? It was the prime. Yeah. We had a primary relationship. However, um, you know, come to find out it wasn't something that he was really interested in, which is not a good thing from the get go anyway. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was the agreement. Um, and then he ended up, uh, getting married to somebody that he had been dating. So that he was allowed to date, but not, not. So what happened was he ended up having feelings for someone that was just going to be physical. I d- no, he no. broke up with me saying that, mono- that he wanted oh, to be okay. in a monogamous relationship oh, got it, got it, got and it. then they found each other. Yeah. Right. And I was like, well, I don't know that. I don't know. I think I was just feeling jaded and really needing to focus on myself, but I didn't really have that language. I feel like, in fact, like five years ago, I feel like I was such a different person. Person. Right, right. Um, so yeah. then you tried it again with someone else. Mm-hmm. So then round two, you're a different person. You've had lots of learning. And then it seems like with the round two, you guys didn't have the history of infidelity. So how was that different? Now, did that fuck you up again or not it so much? did because it was still... <laughs> triggering no it was still really Mm. triggering for me and he was just he's just like exploring non-monogamy doesn't know what he wants right right. so it's not like i was going into a relationship with somebody who's like i'm really intentional and polyamorous and i have all these like structures in place he was like i don't know what i want from life Mm, and so that that felt more like ambiguity to me which felt really really wounding because to me that's the worst experience probably anybody can have is that sort of like I don't know. <laughs> right, right. I'm <laughs> just going. 
uh, yeah, because then, you know, I made all of these excuses up, like, I'm not good enough and blah, blah, blah. All of my insecurities just came bubbling to the surface. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. And we all know giving someone something that you have made or something that requires a skill goes a lot further than just buying someone something. This holiday season, get creative and learn how to make the perfect handmade gift with Skillshare's online classes. What is Skillshare? Skillshare is an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. One of my favorite classes, and don't laugh, is called Plants at Home. Now, I have a really uh, zero talent when it comes to creating spaces that make you feel calm and uh, connect to yourself. So this class, Plants at Home, Uplift Your Spirits and Your Space by Christopher Geffen, Uh, is now one of my favorites. So I'm going to give you something today because I want you to give a gift that means more. I want you to get creative and learn how to make the perfect handmade gift this holiday season. Go to Skillshare.com forward slash angry, A-N-G-R-Y, and get a free trial of premium membership. Skillshare is incredibly affordable, especially when it compared to like the pricey in-person classes and workshops. Go to Skillshare.com forward slash angry, A-N-G-R-Y, and get a free trial of premium membership. Let this be the year you give the gift of thoughtfulness. You give the gift of you. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Hey, remember when growing up how amazing breakfast cereal was? It wasn't all healthy back then. It was sugary and chemically and addictive and you could eat bowls and bowls of that. Then we had to grow up and become adults and we had to put that away. Well, not anymore. There's a company called Magic Spoon and they created a new cereal that is basically what you grew up with, but zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. Magic Spoon offers four flavors based on the all-time classics. Remember these? Cocoa, Fruity, Frosted, and Blueberry. Magic Spoon spent over a year working with the best food scientists and chefs to recreate the texture and taste of classic sugary cereal. Guys, this is a dream come true. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And I'm going to give you a taste today. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash angry, and you can get a variety pack. The shipping is free. Promo code ANGRY, all caps, A-N-G-R-Y, magicspoon.com forward slash angry, promo code, all caps, ANGRY. I just made your day you're welcome go get your cereal now and connect to that 12 year old that you have disconnected to for so long one of my questions is if you are in if you and your partner decide to open your relationship or do something that's non-monogamous what if one partner does very well and the other person doesn't like what if what if you know i'm talking about like is it is a thing i mean then it's just jealousy like how would that work Interestingly enough, I've heard it be a thing where it's good for the woman and not for the man quite often. Yeah. Um, probably just because it's easier for women to find men that the, that want casual sex. I don't know if that's sexist or not, but um, 
I don't know, we could theorize about that. But yeah, I mean, jealousy, some people think that jealousy isn't a real emotion, that there's something underneath that. That's what a lot of polyamorous folks say. And so Mm. understanding what is that? And then the whole argument is like, you know, you can have kids and do you love one of your kids? If you have three kids, do you love one of your kids more than you love the other one? And I I think that that's really fascinating and interesting in theory, but in practice, unless we have secure attachment, I don't know how that could work. Honestly, I don't know how non-monogamy works if you don't have a secure attachment. I think you have to, um, for me, it almost has, you, you almost have to look at it through a spiritual lens. Mm. like I can't yeah if, if you know I mean that that's why I'm saying like at 47 mm-hmm. I, I could now have these conversations and I could almost you know seeing myself giving it a try uh, at 20 you know at 20 it would just be um skin hunger it would just yeah. be like oh I, I could have sex with someone else thank you and then um but it but I don't think that would work also because at, at 20 I would be jealous and controlling and insecure and all of that stuff so um, I think it's h- harder than what people think. I think it, yeah. it's harder than you imagine. Totally. And people yeah. in their thirties and forties still have that skin hunger. There's still, some people are still chasing that, like to feel good about themselves, to conquer that kind yeah. of state, you know, like from, if we're looking at archetypes or something, it's still like the knight or the warrior, but not coming from a conscious place. So when you're bringing in like the spiritual component, yeah, I think that's beautiful. However, I have seen people use that, the spiritual lens to be just as like, not to be kind of schmarmy, you know, it's like a spiritual oh, right. bypassing. Of, right, like, right, right. Oh, this is for love. But if it's you don't big. actually deal with what's underneath. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I know um, Neil Strauss has a book called The Truth, I believe. I read it. Yeah. Is that book amazing? It's one of the most honest books. And, uh, you know, he takes you on a journey where he went through everything. And then he kind of came full circle back to monogamy. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had, I had, um, I had dinner with him once in, in Malibu and I don't, and I, and he was, uh, he had a, a girlfriend there. So I don't know where he's at now, mm-hmm. but, um, I just, yeah, I mean, I could imagine it's exhausting and difficult. So for you, what's the, what was the conclusion or do you even have one? I mean, you know, I think I'm still figuring out. I think for me, I, I really want to be in a relationship that's very committed. And so if that container changes throughout some time to like sexual variety, I'd be open to that, but probably not until we were together for like five, seven, 10 years where we have this like Mm. really solid foundation of knowing each other and growing with one another. And I don't want to put a, you know, like five, 10, whatever, but I think that that solidness is really I don't know. I, I I was reading this thing the other day. If you really want to change the world, learn to really, really love somebody. And I just think that really rings true for me. Yeah. And when I say spiritual, I mean, if you could look at your partner, take out your ego and you say, I would love for him or her to have um, as many amazing intimate experiences, uh, whether it's with me or someone else sexually, um, because they're sexual beings and they, you know, while they're on this planet, if you can do that with distance and without jealousy, like, I think that's amazing and beautiful, but only if you can do that and very few people can execute that. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And I'm actually kind of experiencing that right now. And I think what you're saying, like, I think that that really rings true is, is is that person at a place like, um, in their own emotional maturity to come at it from a spiritual place, or is it just a way to sort of shroud 
whatever insecurities or whatever coping mechanisms or patterns that they generally have that they haven't worked on and just kind of label it as, you know, conscious. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why you have to be really honest with yourself. And of course, you know, with the commercialization of things like, uh, you know, yoga, spirituality, and and Mm. all all this quote unquote Zen stuff, um, there's a lot of spiritual bypassing. There's a lot of um, using that to hide. Right. But you know, if you do, it's just going to backfire on yourself. At some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, um, the other thing is it's just the thing about love, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, also attachment styles and everything we're talking about. No one knows, meaning that as no we change knows. and we grow, like, <laughs> our definitions change. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and even this year alone, I've had so many love lessons and revelations. Um, you know, I, I, I no longer believe in the lightning in the bottle, you know, and I think we need to swim past the breakers and I've all these new definitions about love and they could change again, you know? And I think that, um, that's the thing about, uh, love and, and, and relationships is, uh, as you change, uh, and your lenses change, what you put weight on changes and, and your definitions change. 100%. Yeah. You know, I see all over social media, you know, maybe it's just not the right person or all this black and white without nuance. And it's like, what if it's, what if everything, John, is about timing? (laughs) Mm. You know, like that's been interesting for me to think about. And I don't know what you mean by, what did you say? Let's swing, swim out past the breakers. Uh, yeah, let's, it sounds like an Everclear song, which, which, (laughs) (laughs) um, swim past the breakers. What I mean by that is, uh, when we collide with people, um, the contrast creates uh, a lot of chaos, uh, sometimes attraction, you know, um, the beginning, uh, can be mm. very highly charged, oh, yeah. um, which, which is also kind of honeymoon. You know, we don't, we don't really get to know a person and how they're going to act in certain situations. It's like when you actually move in with someone, then you start to see the 360, right? The 30 yeah. on the floor. Like, Our projections oh. fall away. <laughs> right. Right. This is real. This is life. And so, yeah. To me, swinging past the breakers means I don't think you really start building a relationship until um, you get past all the, the beginning, the honeymoon, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, um, the dopamine, the uh, crazy sex, the exploring, everything that is new and exciting. Yeah. Once once that is gone, and what's left is a real human being with flaws and a story. Um, now we can start. Absolutely, I think that's so beautiful and. You know, I have this theory that we, we, most of us never get past the power struggle of a relationship. Mm. You know, it's like, what do you mean by that? The power struggle? Like, you know, like we're constantly fighting or there's something underneath that's unsaid. And it's like the way that you just explained that made me think of that, like before we move in or even when we move in, it's like, there's all of this unsaidness of like, well, who is almost like the alpha or the omega? What's our polarity? Like, what's our Mm -hmm. dynamic? Like, and never getting to this point of like, Hey, here's like my guts. Like, can I see yours? And can we just meet eye to eye right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it takes courage to do that. Totally. You know, it takes, um, a lot to uh, be, like you said, vulnerable to show yourself, yeah. uh, and, and especially you know because no no child enters adulthood unscarred. We all have a story, and when, you know, speaking of attachment styles, they 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 come from early on child, you know, in our childhood, right? And so, yeah. um, 
to go against that, like to know that you're an avoidant and to go mm-hmm. against that, or to know that you're anxious and to, to go against that. It's so um, hard. Yeah. It's so hard. It's like you're rewiring yourself. Literally. Yeah. yeah. And it takes time. And, you know, that kind of brings me to this really interesting question. I have this concept of uh, love braces and it's basically that there's you and uh, and your partner, and then what you guys are building is greater than its parts. So then there's this relationship, and if the relationship is healthy, if you choose, um, you know, uh, not just based on how you feel, but you choose also yeah. with what you know and your wisdom, um, then can the relationship itself heal or change the people in the relationship? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely 100% believe that. I think that's why commitment has become so important to me because it's like, at least in my view, if you don't have that container, how can that healing actually happen? Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. So it's like almost like giving yourself a corrective experience. Well, yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking of Martin Buber, the philosophy philosopher who talks about the I thou connection. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, do you know no. about that? No, like, explain. So, so it's like when our egos meet each other, that's I I. But like the transpersonal, the spiritual component is when the I and the thou meet. So the essence of who we are, like the more than the ego, more than our coping mechanisms, more than the ways that we're trying to like one up one another or try to understand the world and fix each other, what have you. It's like that meditative, almost oneness of seeing your soul mirrored in another's, Mm. you know, that sacred mirror. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's like the ultimate goal. I think that relationship can be, if you choose it to be a spiritual path. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what do you think it takes to get there? I mean, first and foremost, I think it takes both people or, you know, however many people are in the relationship to have the same vision. (laughs) Mm, Oh, you mean like what they want? Yeah, to say that we want this relationship to be used as a spiritual path or as, you know, if you're not, you know, spiritual has so many different connotations, but as a way for growth and involvement and transpersonal to experience all that we can as humans. John Wellwood talks a lot about that. The guy who coined spiritual bypassing. Yeah. There's, um, I think also because of society and the blueprints that we've been given um, and of course, you know, um, movies, uh, advertising mm-hmm. where love is, um, black and white and has, you know, very solid lines mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, monogamy. And, and, and so, um, I think especially just recently, like all these conversations, um, whether we're talking about, uh, spiritual lenses or, um, non-monogamy relationships or any of that, um, it, it's it's so new that uh, for many there's instant uh, resistance. Mm-hmm. Like it, it almost like it's it's almost like learning that the ra- the world is round. Yeah. When you start, totally. flat, you know. Yeah. No, there is a lot of resistance, and and you know, I, in some ways, I think that it's important to have resistance to understand it and to protect ourselves a little bit because it is true if you have attachment trauma that non monogamy can be especially rewounding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's this other thing I actually heard, I think it was Mark Groves or something talking about how, you know, 
sometimes people are like, well, let's just try to do this one-on-one thing. Like we definitely haven't aced that shit yet. You know? It's mm. like- <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, I, I think he does have a point in that, uh, um, especially today with swipe culture, we mm. leave too fast. We don't even get yes. to experience what commitment's like Thank because, you. because yes. if something doesn't feel right, we're instantly, or we think we can swipe and find someone, you know, uh, in the next 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Like fit, fit everything that I need on this paper. And if not, bye. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you have to earn your um, relationship black belt or maybe a brown belt uh, to, even, <laughs> to even get. So like you actually have to be in a committed monogamous relationship and prove that you could create that space and have capacity and create safety before you can even explore anything non-monogamous. I mean, I think you said it. <laughs> That's how it should be. Because if you go the <laughs> if you go the other way, it's not. I mean, it's just going to be a shit show and a lot of people hurting each other. I think. Yes, I mean, yeah, I have a hard time telling people what they should do, but I really think like, how can you do it? Because otherwise, there's always going to be that push and pull dynamic, chaos, emotional immaturity. If you don't know how to succeed in one way, how can you just add more people and be like, okay, well, we can do it this way? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's all an interesting conversation. It and, is, yeah. Thank you for having one with me today. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, guys, if you are not in the lab, you can meet uh, meet it, meet her live in the lab as she um, runs these classes. You once a week, correct? Yeah, once a week, Wednesdays at three p.m. And I'll be doing a self love, self care one soon too. Sure. As well. yeah. yeah, and uh, so half of it, I'm assuming, is it's kind of a hybrid of lecture and. Uh, um, processing and checking in with the group and all of that. Yep, totally. I'll ask questions. You can bring in whatever questions you have, theories, what have you, and we can process and unpack. Are you also taking on clients or no? I am currently taking on clients if they are super aligned and we fit really well together. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So if you guys want um, privates, she's also doing that. Well, uh, Tanya, thank you for being a part of the lab and thank you for this. Thank you so much. And thank you for this conversation about uh, attachment styles and love and and all of this stuff. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was great and fun. (laughs) Okay, guys. Be well. (laughs)